Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, later in the week, right now, however you're joining us, however you're viewing this, we are so glad you guys decided to tune in. If you're tuning in a little bit later after we've shown this live, because you were up late last night shooting fireworks, grilling, doing bonfires, good on you for enjoying your family. Uh, in fact, this weekend, I was having so much fun with my family and with my friends, just enjoying being together. Now that we have like a relative amount of safety being together, I just had so much fun that I forgot to get my hair cut. So there's that. And I mean, I work with all these college students. So I got all these young men and women kind of putting pressure on me like, Pastor Carl, you got to be on fleek. Your hair's got to be on fleek. And for those of, those of you who are a little older, fleek just means on point. It means like you're looking your best. You're having a good day. But what I got to say to that is family over fleek. Family over fleek for sure. If you guys are watching this a little bit later because you are enjoying your family, if you're watching it with some crazy bedhead, good on you for enjoying your family. I know we just finished up the announcement video, but I've got one more announcement for you guys. And this is really, really good news because we are starting to actually step into the process to step into opening our church phase by phase. And that's really, really exciting news. August 2nd is going to be our first day that we start to open up the church to actually have a live um, a live group of people here while we're able to worship together and do the message as well. And so that live service, we're only going to have one. It's going to be at 1030 a.m. Um, and just a couple things to keep in mind as we start opening up these phases. In this first phase, um, we will not have any Sunday morning uh, kids or middle school ministries uh, programming. Um, and we also won't be serving coffee. So you might want to stop by Starbucks on your way here, however you need to get your caffeine fix. Um, we'll also be continuing to stream our Sunday mornings live for those of you who are unable to attend in person. Um, and another option with that is actually to consider inviting friends over to your house uh, so that you guys can worship and view the message together and kind of do like a little church home. I really like that idea. I think some of you guys are already doing that. That's awesome. I think that's a sweet way to engage together as a church. Um, if you're not quite ready for in-person gatherings, if you're in an at-risk category, please stay home. That's totally, totally all right. Um, and we will get you guys more details as we know more and as the phases start to roll out. Um, and that concludes the announcements. So would you guys pray with me as we just jump in? Father, we lay our hearts before you this morning and we love you. We thank you that you are so, so good to us, God. We thank you that we don't have to earn our relationship with you, but you give it to us freely by your grace. So Lord, just right now, as we get going, I just pray that you'd soften our hearts. Would you move inside of us in only the way that you can? God, would you help us to be awakened to what you're doing in our lives, to your spirit moving within us? Would you help us to just tangibly experience your grace and your love today? God, it is all about you. It is all about relationship with you. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so I love the Psalms. I've been reading the Psalms uh, this week, and I usually am reading the Psalms, even if I'm studying a different passage of Scripture, I'll be reading my chapters for the day. And then towards the end, I'll be like, hey, 
I should go read a Psalm or go read a proverb, but I just, I love the Psalms. I love how the psalmists talk about God, talk about how much they love him. And it just moves my heart. I actually just wrote down like just five short lines from the Psalms that were just like really, really impacting me this week. And I'll read them for you. It says, good and upright is the Lord. I will praise the Lord all of my life. Great are the works of the Lord. I will praise the Lord no matter what. And this, this last line is really what gets me. It says, this God, his ways are perfect. His ways are perfect. God has a way about him doesn't he? He has a way that he does things. And the longer that I live, and I mean, you can trust me, I got 25 years under my belt, but the longer that I live, I more and more can attest to the fact that God's ways are so much better than my ways. God's ways are so much better than our ways. His ways are perfect. I remember I was having a conversation with a young man um, and I just, I saw Jesus in him. I just saw this deep love for God, this conviction. But I also saw this self-deprecation a little bit, this like, this battle, internal battle. But I just wanted to encourage him. I felt led to encourage him. And so I leaned in and I just started encouraging him. And he actually cut me off pretty quick. And he said, actually, like, I don't, I don't want any of that. I don't need any of that. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, like, I just noticed something about myself that when people encourage me, you know, like when they say good things about me to my face, I just get proud and I just get so puffed up inside and I just feel like I make a fool of myself. I just get so puffed up by encouragement. And so I've just decided in order to avoid that pride to just reject encouragement. And at first it might sound a little bit noble and it might sound a little bit right, but I just felt like the Lord was like, no, you should check that. And so I leaned in with him and I just started quoting scripture. And I was like, hey man, like what happened to as long as it is called today, encourage one another. What happened to in Hebrews 10, when it says, consider how you might spur one another on toward love and good works, not, um, I'm trying to remember, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. That's what God's word says. It says, if you want to be spurred on toward love and good works, which are both really good things, if you want to be spurred on towards that, God's economy actually says, hey, it's through encouragement of other believers. And so encouragement is God's way. And so he was like, man, like, yeah, but what do I do with this pride? What do I do with this pride in my life? How, do, how can I like accept encouragement and not feel proud? And I was like, well, what does God say about that? What is God's way to deal with pride? There's a bunch about that in the, in the scriptures. First Peter 5, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's what we're supposed to do when we, when we experience pride in our lives. That's God's way. We can receive encouragement. And if we start noticing to be puffed up, we have to go again to God's way and say, Lord, I humble myself before you. I don't want to be proud. I humble myself before you. You are so much greater than I. And so God's way is so much better. Receiving encouragement is so much better, but man, isn't it just so easy to kind of get sidetracked from God's way? And I just think that I've seen it in, in myself and in our church sometimes, like it's easy for us to get sidetracked from God's way when it comes to grace. 
when it comes to experiencing and receiving grace. God's word in Romans 6, 14, just the second half of that verse, it says, you are not under the law, you're under grace. And I think that when we get sidetracked from grace, when we get sidetracked from just free experience of relationship with God, we start to try to earn it, right? We try to earn it by our works, by adhering to the law. Like, have you ever experienced that? Where you're like, man, I have sinned way too many times to just experience grace about this. I've sinned way too much in this area. Now I actually need to like just get better. I need to get better before I come back to God. Once I put in some hard work, then I can actually come back and experience a relationship with God because then he will accept me. Because I just know right now that his grace for this situation, it's run out. No, (laughs) that's not true. That's not God's way. We're actually a kingdom under grace. In God's kingdom, we are under grace. It is not something that changes. It was something that God decided, not based on our actions. C.S. Lewis, he's just one of the most commonly quoted lay theologians um, just recently. Um, And there's a story that I just read about him where he was a professor over in in, um, Great Great Britain, England. um, And there's a story about him walking into a room where a group of his colleagues are, I think some students as well. I can't remember if it was just like a conference or if it was just like a group of people kind of chatting, but they were talking about world religion and they were trying to say, okay, what distinguishes one of these religions from, from the others? What kind of sets apart one from the other? Because what they saw within all of them is a works-based system. And C.S. Lewis kind of just walks in. He says, oh, what are you guys talking about? And they say, is there anything that like distinguishes Christianity from other world religions? And they'd been talking about this for a long time. And C.S. Lewis is like, oh, that's simple. It's grace. And then he leaves. (laughs) Oh, it's simple. It's grace. And then they conferred and they talked about it. And they're like, he's right. He's completely right. Like when it comes to Buddhism, which isn't actually like worshiping of a God, but when it comes to Buddhism, there's karma and that's how you're measured. When it comes to Judaism, there's the law and that's how you earn relationship with God. But in Christianity, relationship with God is given by grace. It is given and that sets Christianity apart. That is the true God, the one who offers himself to us. And y'all, as a church, I just want to like, I would just want us to check our own hearts. Have we given up our birthright? Have we given up what sets us apart? Have we given up grace? God's grace, the good news to the whole earth. Have we given up grace? And I know it's so easy to point fingers at other people and to think about oh, people we know and how they aren't gracious and all this kind of stuff. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do any of that today. I want us to think about our own hearts. I want us to look inward at our internal world. And I want us to ask ourselves, am I under the law or am I under grace? I want you to ask yourself that question. Are you under the law or are you under grace? We're going to jump into our main passage here. We're going to be in Romans 3, verses 20 through 24, but let's just start with verse 20. It says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
Nobody's going to be justified by the law. And when the New Testament is talking about the law, it's talking about the 600 and some laws that were in the Old Testament that like the prophets were working with God and they're like, okay, this thing and this thing and this thing. If you follow all of these things, you will be completely sinless. If you follow all of these things, you'll be sinless. And the thing is, nobody could keep them to the letter. Nobody could keep all 600 laws. And it, was reve- it just revealed to them their sinfulness. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. But what it created was this attitude inside of them. They're like, no, I got to do better. I got to try harder. I have to try to adhere to all of these rules and all these laws so that I can relate to God. Does that sound familiar? Have you stopped in your faith journey, in your relationship with Christ? Have you stopped at just the knowledge of sin? Is that where you find yourself that you just are aware of your sin? And now you're like, oh my gosh, I have to change it. I have to fix it. I have to get better. I have to do better. Y'all, awareness of sin is so important, but that is not by any means the end of the gospel. That is not the end of the gospel. That's just the beginning. If you are just in an awareness of your sin and thinking I have to get better, that is the law. You are stuck in the law. Do you live in constant self-condemnation? Do you constantly beat yourself up like, I'm not good enough to relate to God. I'm not good enough. Oh, I did all these things. I can't relate to God. I can't be in relationship with him. Do you have an attitude inside of your head and inside of your heart like, I can't be with him. I don't get what pastors are talking about when they're like, have relationship with God, have relationship with your creator. I don't get that because I just feel so bad and I just don't think I'm good enough. That means you're under the law. That means you are under a law, stuck in self-condemnation. But do you know what God's word says about condemnation? Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, none. There is a zero tolerance policy in God's kingdom for self-condemnation, zero. That is not God's way. And I know that what some of you guys might be thinking, this thought came into my head while I was preparing and it was just like, hold on. Condemnation works. Now, just just hold on for a second. Like if I beat myself up long enough, if I tell myself I am not good enough long enough, I can change my habits. I can eventually like change what I do. It takes a long time and it really hurts and it feels bad on the inside. But eventually, if I condemn myself enough, I can change my habits. But you guys, that's not God's way. Self-condemnation, that is not God's way. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. And when we start to believe like, hey, my way is better than God's way. I've actually figured out a way to kind of like make peace and like, you know, condemn myself into these habits. That's actually the beginning of sin. Do you remember that? Like back with Adam and Eve, when they chose to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were essentially saying, I want to choose good and evil for myself. I want to choose my way and not God's way. I want to choose it for me. And They just believe that their way was better. But y'all, like we have to realize that that one decision, and this is Adam and Eve are literal people. You will meet them in the kingdom of heaven one day. Adam and Eve are literal people. Their one decision to say, hey, my way is better than God's way. That has led to every ounce of pain 
that we experience in this world. That has led to every ounce of confusion. This world is so confusing nowadays, isn't it? Where there's so many, like if you pick a side, you're wrong to somebody else and they're mad at you and they will hate you sometimes. All of that confusion, that started there with them saying my way is better than God's way. All discrimination started right there with that one decision. All evil started right there when they said my way is better than God's way. All evil in the entire world started there. And so we can't catch ourselves doing the exact same thing, saying my way is actually better than God's way. No, it's not. It really is not. Even if you can eventually change your habits by constantly condemning yourself, it will not accomplish what God wanted to accomplish. God didn't set his sights so low that it was just your habits that he wanted. He didn't set his sights just that low on your habits. He set his sights on your heart. God wants relationship with you, personal relationship with you. That's what God wants. That's his heart for you. We can change our habits, but we can't enter or earn relationship with God. That is only something that Jesus can give us. Only something that Jesus can give to us, relationship with God. So if this is you, I just want to ask you something. Do you even know what you're trying to earn anymore? If you're stuck in this self-condemnation and you constantly feel like you are your own slave master, just whipping yourself, like do better, try harder. Let me just ask this. Do you know what you're trying to do anymore? Do you know what you're trying to earn anymore? Or are you just trying? Because I found that in myself before. I have been like, man, I just want to relate to God. So I'm just going to try, 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 try to like clean myself up. But eventually after failure and after guilt and after self-condemnation over and over and over again, it's like, what am I living for? I'm not even like living to try to live up to God's law. I've created my own law. That's just like, oh, you got to be nice to people. Oh, you know, you got to like tell a certain amount of jokes. You got to be accepted by people. Like that's, we create our own laws and we try to adhere to them. And we're just like living in self-deprecation and condemnation and pain. That is not what God wants. He wants relationship with you. And so if you are just aware of your sin and trying to get better, I just want to ask you to stop. Stop condemning yourself. This is so far short of what Jesus wants for you. This is nothing close to the fullness of life that Jesus says is found in him. Because what he wants for you is secure relationship. He wants gracious relationship with him. That's what he wants for you. And so how do we get that? What does that look like? Romans 3 verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It has been manifested. It has come to be apart from the law to which the law and prophets bear witness. That's so interesting to me. It says that actually the righteousness of God has come about, but it wasn't from the law, but the law and the prophets were actually like pointing to that. Isn't that so interesting? The law, the way it was pointing to it is it said, you can't do it. You can't attain the righteousness of God. The way that the prophets pointed to it is they said, hey, but someone can and someone will and he will make it accessible. He will forgive the sins of the world. And do you know what his name is? I'll give you a hint. It starts with J and it ends with Jesus Christ. 
It's Jesus Christ. That's who it is. Jesus Christ is the way that the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. It's not in the law, you guys. And I know that like we're saying the word, the righteousness of God. And I just, I just kind of want to reclaim this word because I think there's like a lot of confusion about it. When I hear that word, I just right away usually think, oh, that's super churchy. And I just don't really relate to it. I can't really like tangibly experience it. Sometimes I think like, oh, it's self-righteous. That's not it. I really want to reclaim this word because it is such good news. Like when we hear this word, you know how like there are some words that like when they're spoken, they just evoke a certain emotion. Like if you think about it for kids, you can't, these words have so much power that you can't even say them. You have to spell them. I think it might be time for B-E-D. Because if you say bed, you know they're about to cry, right? There's that evoked response, that emotional response when they hear that word. But there's also not just bad emotional responses. There's good ones, right? Like when you say, let's go to the pool. Then they're like, yeah, or like even the word ice cream. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, this emotional response. And I know that's for kids, but for parents, I know there's also a word that we can kind of relate to, a word that's when it's spoken, it evokes celebration. And it's four letters, F-R-E-E right? Or even BOGO. You know what I mean? Like free or BOGO. It's like, yeah, parents become kids again, right? But I want us to kind of reclaim the word righteousness so that when we hear it, it's not just like, oh, that's kind of a churchy word. Oh, it might go a little bit over my head, whatever. I want us to celebrate with it because righteousness, essentially what it means is we have right relationship with God. We have right relationship with God. Y'all, this is good news because this is the end of Christianity. This is actually what we are going to be saved to. When we experience heaven, all of eternity, not just a thousand years, not just 10,000, not just a million, not just a billion years, we will just be in relationship with God and it will be satisfying for us. It will be completely satisfying for us for eternity. Just relationship with God, just knowing him more and more and more. It is incredible. I think about like this passage in Revelation. There's this creature sitting before the throne of God and he's just got like tons of eyes. And it says every time he blinks, he is in awe of who God is. Every time he blinks, you guys, that's what we have to look forward to, that just even beholding God blinking, we will be satisfied. And so when Jesus gives us the righteousness of God, that means we have relationship with him, everything our soul longs for, something that won't just satisfy us for a minute, like a new car or a new toy or something that we bought or a new friendship or whatever. It is going to be relationship with God, satisfaction forever. That is good news. Righteousness is a good word. So like when we hear righteousness, we don't have to be like, nah, anymore. We can just be like, yes, relationship with God. Come on. This is the end of Christianity. This is what we aim towards and we have it in Jesus Christ. That is good news. And so how is this manifested like it was talking about in verse 21? How is the righteousness of God? How is right relationship with God manifested apart from the law? Romans 3.22, it says, the righteousness of God is manifested through faith in Jesus Christ. And I love this part, for all who believe. And he doesn't just say that, he doubles down and says, for there is no distinction. 
for all who believe. There is no distinction. Some verses say there is no Jew or Gentile. Essentially, there is no difference in your skin color. There's no difference in your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter if you've been to prison. It doesn't matter if you've struggled with addiction. There is no, there is no distinction in Jesus. You can have the right relationship with God, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. And so there is no distinction. If you believe, if you have faith in Jesus, you have the righteousness of God. You have it. Right relationship with God. It is yours in Jesus. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to. Notice how it doesn't say for all who are perfectly sinless for all who got their stuff together. It doesn't say that. It says for all who believe. That is good news, folks. It doesn't matter your past. God looks at you and he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus if you believe in him. That is scandalous. Grace feels scandalous. You have the righteousness of God. Don't hesitate to step into relationship. Don't hesitate to approach him. There is no distinction. Why? Continuing on verses 23 and 24, it says, there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his, somebody say it at home. Somebody say it in the back. Grace. Grace. Yeah, that's right. Grace. You are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Ken, for saying grace. Grace is a gift, you guys. I love this passage. It's like, I know that you've sinned. Jesus knows that you've sinned. You're not hoodwinking him. He knows that you have sinned, that you have fallen short of the glory of God, but you are justified by his grace as a gift. It is given to you through the redemption in Christ Jesus. It is a gift. The fact that grace is a gift is just so backwards of worldly thinking. It feels like, is this right? Like, is this okay? Like, am I allowed to like say this, right? Philip Yancey, an author, he says it really well. He says, God's love coming to us free of charge seems to go against every instinct of humanity. There's just something in us. That's just like, I have to earn it. If it's good, I've got to earn it. I've got to deserve it. But no, God's love coming to us free of charge relationship with God, loving relationship with him free of charge. It's because grace is the opposite of the world. Grace is opposite of the law. The law says, hey, you give this and you get this. But grace says, hey, you get this and you get this. The law says, hey, if you give perfection, which nobody can, if you give perfection, you get relationship with God. But but grace says, hey, you get the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And you get relationship with your creator. That is amazing. Grace is astounding. Like, I mean, just, I mean, there are some business people out there. Think of the economics of that. Like, I feel like the treasury of heaven, I'm like, how does it stay open? Really? Like, it's just constantly pouring out grace, constantly pouring out loving from, like, love from God. And just, I mean, just think about that. Have you guys ever heard this before? That God bankrupted heaven by sending Jesus to forgive the world of sin. 
You know, I've heard it. I've preached it. I know I've preached it. And it makes a good point because, man, Jesus coming to die, that is an incredible cost. But you guys, God bankrupting heaven, that is not true. That is just simply not true because God is infinite. He, his infinity is beyond our comprehension. That means his grace is also infinite. It doesn't run out. It absolutely does not run out. God has grace on your life. If you are stuck in a place where you're just like, man, I've messed up too much. Like I've had this addiction for 20 years. I've messed up too much. There's no way that God is giving me grace. No, that's a lie. If you believe in Jesus, God is still extending his grace to you. It is scandalous that even while you sin, he looks at you and he's like, hey, my son paid the price for you. I love you. Even while you sin. God's grace is scandalous. Lately, y'all, I found it helpful just personally for myself to think about grace as the ocean. Just because I can't really understand infinity, but I can kind of wrap my head around the ocean. And the ocean's like really big. But like, just personally, I've been, I found it so helpful to think about it as a shoreline and to picture myself just walking in to the ocean and I get about ankle deep and Jesus is there with me, but he's not ankle deep. He's on top of the waves, remember? God don't sink, he floats. But I'm there in the ocean, ankle deep. Jesus is there with me and he is causing the waves to keep rolling keep rolling. And every time it rolls, it goes a little bit higher on my ankles and it brings new water, fresh water, different water than that was there before. And it leaves and it brings about this purity. There's a purity to the ocean tide. And it is washing over my ankles, God's grace, and just pulling out the guilt and the sin. And another cool thing about that is that if we think about grace as an ocean, just like the numbers of it have been wrecking my brain lately, that the ocean has 352 quintillion gallons. That's a lot. I can't understand that. 352 quintillion gallons. Now, let's just say that God divided the ocean of grace amongst all about 8 billion people on earth. That means that every single individual has 45 billion gallons of grace. And that even, that still falls short. You guys, 45 billion gallons falls short in comparison to the infinite grace that God has for your life. He wants to unleash grace on your life. He wants you to experience unhindered relationship, personal relationship with him. That is what God wants for you. If you are under the law, maybe it's time to reconsider the riches of God's grace. And I know that grace is scandalous. And I know that sometimes it's easy to think, well, how can you get over your sins if you're just focusing on grace? Well, God's word says something about that. We, we talked about Romans 6, 14, the second half earlier. Let's look at the whole verse. The whole verse says, for sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Since you are not under the law, but under grace. It's saying that sin will have no dominion over you because you're under grace. This, the way this is worded, it also is implying, y'all. It says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law. That is implying that when you're under the law, sin can have dominion over you. 
if you are struggling with a sin over and over and over again, maybe it might be because you are under the law. I would venture to say it's probably because you are under the law in your internal world, in your internal relationship with God. It's separating you from him. Jesus is like, no, there's no ideology that's going to cure you from sin. There's a person. His name is Jesus. He's the one who can heal your infirmities. He is the one who can suck the poison out of your life. He is the one who can forgive and heal from the damage of sin. Not the law, not your own efforts, not trying. That will not heal you. That will hurt you. And that will set up a barricade between you and God. That is not what he wants. Even to just push that point further, I know that it says um, in, I think Romans 2, it says that um, God's kindness that he shows to us by grace is meant to lead us to repentance. And so when we receive grace, it is intended to lead us to repentance. And now I know that sometimes we, we definitely know people in our lives and we, we see sometimes in their life that, you know, they take advantage of grace. I just want to say like, just some, some of my story, I was raised in a Christian home, but I didn't really get it. I remember trying to like adhere to the rules and be a good boy, be a good kid. Um, and you know, like things happen in life. I was sinful. I was born into sin and I was sinful. And I remember I just kept getting mad and beating myself up. Like I can't do it. I can't be good enough for my parents. I can't be good enough for God. And I eventually just like walked away because I got sick of the, the, the pummeling match that I did on myself. I feel like that's so common. If you have walked away from a pummeling match, God is not the one pummeling you. That's us. That's ourselves. And I didn't actually experience life change. I didn't actually experience freedom from sin that just like had been clinging to me for so long. I didn't experience any kind of healing until I experienced God's grace and his kindness. And what it did is it put in me a desire to change. God's grace, experiencing it, leads us to repentance. It leads us to actual change, to actual healing. And so what I've got to say about people taking advantage of grace, you can't take advantage of grace. Now, let me qualify that. There is a big difference between receiving grace and creating license that is just loosely based on truth. There is a huge difference between receiving the grace of God and creating license. Think about it this way. Let's just say Daniel loves giving hugs. Pastor Daniel loves giving hugs. He wear, let's just say he's wearing like a free hugs t-shirt everywhere he goes. And I just know because I've seen that shirt, I know, hey, since Daniel would give a free hug if I walked up to him, like that's literally all I have to do is just walk up to him and say like, hey, can I have a hug? He would hug me. That's like me being in this room, completely different room than Daniel and saying, I know Daniel gives hugs. So right now I am hugged by Daniel. No, I'm not. I'm not hugged by Daniel. I'm just standing right here. And that's what we do with grace, you guys, is that we need to receive the grace of God. We can't just know about the grace of God and be like, I know God is gracious. That means I can continue to sin and it's going to be okay. You did not receive grace. You just knew about it. 
You did not receive relationship with God. You just knew about it. Receiving grace, like it's beautifully laid out in Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Jesus' throne is even called the throne of grace, people. Draw near to the throne of grace where Jesus is that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. You need to go to Jesus to receive grace. That doesn't mean you need to go to church. Jesus doesn't reside in a building. He resides in people. He has made the human heart his home. When you accepted Jesus, when you put your faith in him, it says that Jesus gives you his spirit as a promised seal until the day of redemption. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Jesus is in you. That just means you just need to address him. It's relationship. It's like me talking with somebody in a room. I need to address them. So it's like, all right, Lord, like, I know I need grace right now. Jesus, would you give me grace? That is how you receive grace, you guys. Grace is not an ideology that we use to just like make ourselves feel better. That's not it. Christianity is not an ideology. Grace is received from personal relationship with Jesus. That's it. It is all about personal relationship with Jesus. Y'all, Christian maturity, it isn't simply knowing more. Christian maturity is walking with God. It is abiding in God. It is living in relationship with God. That is Christian maturity. Y'all, receiving grace is drawing near to God. That's what it is. It's not just knowing about it. It is you, yourself, going before the creator of all things and receiving grace in your time of need. That is the reality, folks, that if you've put your hope in him, you can approach him and you can say, God, I need grace. You don't need to like come up with all these excuses or lay out this argument like to get to have, God, I know that I can, I know I deserve grace. No, you just go before him and say, God, I, I need it. I know that I need your grace. I want to invite the band to come up and start getting ready. And y'all, it's Communion Sunday. I think I forgot to let you know in the beginning. So right now, you can like scrounge around for some crackers and some juice or some water or whatever. Skittles. I heard someone was using Skittles. Um, But it's Communion Sunday. And communion is a great time to experience the grace of God for yourself. I used to think that communion was a time to like sit there and bow my head and hold the elements, you know, the wine, the juice and the bread, and to just feel really guilty about what I've done. That's what I thought it was. I was like, if I feel guilty about this, Lord, like I'm laying all my sin before you, I feel so guilty. I promise to do better, Jesus. That's what I would do. That's what I thought communion was. But no, that is not it at all. That is not communion at all. Communion, our communion posture should be, God, I'm drawing near to you because of what your son has done. And I remember what your son has done to forgive me. I receive your grace. I don't need to feel guilty. I don't need to feel condemned, but I can look at the extent that Jesus went to, to love me. He shed his blood. He broke his body. I don't need to feel guilty about it, but I can know, oh my gosh, my God loves me. Your God loves you, PV. Your God loves you. 
He wants personal relationship with you guys. And right now, if you're just like struggling so much with your sin and you're unable to do it, I just really want to encourage you guys. Grace gives you the ability to stop hiding from your sin. Grace gives you the ability to look strength, or sorry, to look sin in the face. Because of grace, you can look your sin in the face and you don't have to feel ashamed. You can lay it at Jesus' feet. And say, thank you, God, for your grace and mercy that you are pouring out on me. In communion, guys, remember that Jesus' grace is literally just one conversation away. Just one conversation, talking to him. He's made it possible right now that whether you're watching alone or with a group of people, you can receive grace right now. Y'all, if you're looking for a way to stop beating yourself up, it's to receive his grace. And so would you guys grab the elements, grab some bread, grab some juice, and let's step into communion together. And on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of the grace that I give to you freely. Let us partake together. And in the same way, Also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, one not based on works, one based on grace. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake together. Jesus, we come before you aware of our sin that's no that's nothing that we're going to hide from you and we just lay it down unashamed before our creator who loves us and we say thank you Jesus for what you did on the cross thank you that we don't have to be burdened by a constant condemnation a constant doubt a constant wondering does God care about me does he love me we don't have to do that Because of you, Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. Lord, I pray that you would move in our family, that you would do away with condemnation, that you would do away with the law. It doesn't work. You cannot have relationship with God by the law. But Lord, would you wash us in your grace? Lord, I pray for everybody watching, tuning in, no matter when it is, that you would bless them with an experience of grace. And I know it's going to feel scandalous. Grace always is. But Lord, we right now accept what you did for us on the cross. We proclaim what you accomplished in death. You defeated sin and death and you left it in the grave. And when you rose, God, it didn't raise with you. Thank you for what you have done. 
God, I just pray forgiveness. And I just pray relationship with God over our church family. We love you, Jesus. Praise things in your name. Amen.